right. We are back. We across the tracks podcast for uh, June the 23rd, 2019. And I don't know what episode we're on, but uh, this is one of many that are out there. So uh, I'm Wayne. And I'm Steve. All right. We're yeah, back. Yeah, we are back. And uh, before we get things started here, Wayne, we want to I want to go back and uh, mention uh, a celebration or an uh, acknowledgement of Juneteenth. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was just a just a few days ago, and uh, for most people, uh, uh, you know, Juneteenth was the the last date uh, down in Texas in which the uh, slaves figured out that the, the Emancipation Proclamation was over, had, had finished, and the Civil War was over with, and uh, it went from April until June the nineteenth before they were able to really know that the um, the war had ended and that they were truly free. So we uh, acknowledge that. And as we move forward, and it kind of goes along with the topic that we're going to uh, discuss tonight. So uh, let's let's we're, we're going to talk about um, uh, the prison industrial complex tonight and the effects it's had on not only small town America, but America in general. And um, I think that we'll be able to uh, have a lively discussion and be able to uh, discuss some things that that's important to uh, these United States today. So I tell you what, uh, I started off the last few episodes, and I'll uh, I'll take the give the nod to you at this time. Give the nod. So <laughs> the prison industrial complex, um, and it's 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 been in the news for a long time now. Uh, the just the fact of the criminal justice system, you know how it affects, and and since and since we're two African American men, I think we need to look at it from that aspect as to what the criminal justice system, the prison industrial complex, how that affects the black community. Yeah, that's um, you know because um, you have, I mean, if if you look at our community as a whole. Um, a, a lot of our community has been torn apart primarily because of incarceration, uh, folks being locked up for uh, crimes that maybe other citizens would probably get a different outcome from the criminal justice system. And it's a constant pipeline um, because of the way certain things are set up uh, for people within our community to fail. And when they do fall into dire straits, the criminal justice system is there to make sure a lot of times that a lot of folks never see the light of day. So that destroys our families. It destroys the fabrics of our communities. Um, it, it leaves a lot of our children without that leadership, especially um, if, if it's men who are being incarcerated. And a lot of the folks incarcerated in prison today are black men, black and Hispanic men. But it takes that that male figure out of our homes, leaves leaves kids without that that male figure in the home, that father figure that is so important uh, in the development of a kid. And so as, as we talked you know, prior to the show going on air, I mean, I've had a few relatives that have, um, you know, gotten involved with the criminal justice system. Fortunately, those outcomes have been favorable. But it's a life altering event uh, once you find yourselves in that mix. And, um, you know, I, I 
I, I wish I could paint a better picture of it, but nine times out of 10, uh, when you look at the criminal justice system from beginning to end, you look at what's going on with our prisons, it grossly affects people of color. And since, like I said, since we're black, uh, we look at it from the aspect it is taking our people out of the community, putting them behind bars in a system that sometimes is not fair. And again, a lot of folks never see the light of day. And so um, I think that segues into something else we're going to talk about tonight. And that was, you know, we watched the documentary. I think a lot of people have watched it. Uh, on Netflix, the uh, when they see us, uh, the case of the Central Park Five. So we'll we'll segue into that. But but that's my initial take on the the prison industrial complex, the criminal justice system. It is grossly unfair. It grossly unfavor. It grossly was the term. It grossly unfavors. I think that's the right word. Uh, I think that's the right word. It meaning it doesn't favor us. It does not favor people of color. And in this case, it's brown and black people who find themselves behind bars in this system that is designed to take people from school to prison and, and your life is gone. If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law. So um, it, it's it's a topic that is worth discussing. And I think, as you mentioned, we're, we're going to have an interesting uh, debate on that tonight. But I, I think we're on the same side of things. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 is, is, it is severely affecting our community. And uh, it has been, not just recently. This has been going on for a long time. Yeah, uh, right. Our communities, you know, we can go back to the 60s and the 70s that people were unfairly treated uh, by the criminal justice system. Many folks are sitting in prison now uh, and then some folks are getting released because technology and DNA is caught up to the times and cases that may have been reviewed from those times. People are getting free. But the fact is, you've taken away someone's life, the biggest part of their life. Uh, as as when they, if they went into prison as a 17, 18 year old kid um, and you're taking away their life and they've been in prison 30, 40 years, you've taken away the best parts of their life and they get out now that the technology has proven like, you know what, they really didn't do this. You know, we, we put people back in a society that they are not necessarily ready for. So we have to right. deal with that aspect of it, too. So Right, right, right. And, you know, and, and Wayne, it goes back. You know, you talking about the 60s. Let's go back to the 1860s. <laughs> you know, let's go back to the 1840s. And, you know, prison industrial complex is a modern term for something that's been going on for centuries. And, you know, me being a history teacher and I had to teach this and I always gave the perspective that, you know, when the Civil War ended, for slaves, it didn't end slavery. They right. just they just recalculated it and gave it a different name. Right. You know, they said, okay, we're gonna make you sharecroppers. And they would come up with excuses to um keep these uh freedmen and women tied to the land. Yep. Because, you know, in, in recent weeks, there's been this talk about reparations, and this is another topic that we can get into, you know, some other time. But, you know, a lot of America was built by the hands of people that were that were slaves and that had no chance out. 
And if they did get free, if they were freed, they were still tied to the land. You know, they would make excuses of, you know, you broke the plow and so you'd have to work that off and it took you 10 years to work it off. And then after some period of time, they come up with another excuse. So that was what they did to to uh, uh, keep people tied to the land, which basically meant they were still economically deprived. They were still in a situation where families were, were split. They were still in a situation in which they had little or no chance for advancement in society. And those people who had the power, the government, for example, local, state, and federal government, uh, they were responsible for creating laws that kept people subservient or oppressed. And so it's it's hard to um, say that it's easy to be free when you don't know any different than what you've been taught your entire life. Correct. You know, you, you can't say someone, hey, I'm going to give you the, the right to vote. But then you say, all right, you have to read the Constitution. And they've never been able to read before. Right. You, know, well, you can vote, but you got to read. You can vote, but you have to pay a tax. You can vote, but your grandfather couldn't vote. So therefore you can't vote. So those are the situations and those are the trials and tribulations that the black community, black and brown community, uh, have had to deal with. And so recently, you know, in the past, well, since we've, we've grown up, you know, growing up in E-Town, like you said, you've had relatives that have, uh, been in the prison industrial complex I've had relatives that's been in the prison industrial complex, and as you mentioned, it 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 affects their lives forever. You know, for uh, another example, I went to uh, Louisiana because my father's family's from a little town in Louisiana called Homa, Louisiana. It's about 45 miles west of New Orleans. And I was talking to one of my cousins. I had an aunt that died and went down to the funeral. And my cousin said, yeah, you know, he had, you know, sold drugs and he was incarcerated. And I had several other, most of the men, all of the women, they were good to go, (laughs) you know, but most of my cousins that were men, you know, I would say 85% of them had been incarcerated. And here's something that it opened my eyes, Wayne. He told me that he, he was in prison for eight years. And in those eight years, the state of Louisiana paid him four cents a month. Wow. Four cents a month. Now he's 60, he's 69 years old today. And, you know, when we think of being 65, 66 or whatever, you know, uh, 62, I took social security at age 62. Now I paid into social security. You know, that's what you do. You pay into social security, you, you work, and you pay into Social Security, and then when you become 65 or whatever and you're eligible for it, then they give you a percent of that, that money back. Well, here's the eye-opening thing. When you're getting four cents a month, you're being taxed on that four six a month, and that part of that four cents a month is going to Social Security. Four cents a month. <laughs> wow. Okay? So imagine the resources that they will have when they're ready to draw Social Security, 
They're not drawing anything because they're not making any money because they've been in prison. Right. You know, I had never thought about that. You can't, you know, I'm surviving on Social Security. Okay. But if I couldn't survive, if I would have had to get four out of four cents a month paid into Social Security, there's no way I'd be able to survive. So those are small things that we don't don't think about. Another thing is that if you know if we go back to the 80s and the 90s, you know there's a lot of hype, a lot of media attention to you know the drug war and and um, you know large cities where you know and African Americans and black black and brown people and the poor people were stereotyped by the media because they were selling drugs. Well, a lot of times it wasn't that they were selling drugs just to sell drugs; they were selling drugs in order to make a living to make some way of taking care of the kid to pay some bills to get in a house get an apartment or something like that that wasn't the case all the time but in a large percentage those people had no opportunity okay and if you remember there was a three strikes you're out and so on for people that were selling you know marijuana cocaine and whatever and there was millions of black men millions of people that were uh, incarcerated for such things as selling marijuana, three strikes and you're out. And there was no big concern about locking these men up and throwing away the key. And then after they served their time, let them out on the street. They weren't concerned about, they weren't concerned about rehabilitation they weren't concerned about helping them get through the process or integrating them back in society. We're going to lock you up and we're going to throw away the key. And that's all that matters to us. Now, yeah. let's let's leap forward to today. You know, 2019, there is an opioid epidemic yeah. Yeah. in the 80s. They didn't say it was a cocaine yeah. or a marijuana <laughs> epidemic. <laughs> it was just guys out selling cocaine, marijuana, and selling drugs. Well, today, there's this opioid uh, uh, problem. Well, most of the people involved in these opioid problems are white. Okay? Now, there's a big concern about we have to do something about the opioid problem. Well, I wish in the 80s and the 90s they would have said, well, we have to do something about this economic situation where these people can't make a living, you know, but today, today is such a big deal when now we have to come up with and rehabilitate these people. We have to find the ways of eliminating the opioid when it deals with their own talking about white folks or the political people, when it deals with their people, you have to find an urgent way of dealing with it. Yeah. You have to pass yeah. laws, you have to register, you have to do all these things, but it wasn't that way prior to. So you don't see I'm locking a whole bunch of people up. No. Because of opioids. There was no Narcan when the things were going on back in the eighties and so on. You know, so yeah. these are things that we'll deal with. And that's that's kind of how the the stereotyping of the media and so on back in that time period made it really easy to say that this group of people is not worthy to be 
part of the American system. So we have to find a way of locking them up. And that kind of leads to, you know, the idea of the, the Central Park Five. You know, this group of kids, you know, because of the media hype around it, were accused of something that affected their lives forever. And it's really sad. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, and if, and you know to piggyback on you know your 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 top of your 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 statement about the opioid crisis, if crack wasn't an epidemic back in the '80s, I don't know what it was. I mean, because you had people, entire communities, victimized by crack, and uh, you know I didn't see any like you said I didn't see any rehabilitation for them. I didn't see crack addiction categorized as an illness. It's a sickness. Yeah. It's something that we gotta we gotta put programs in place to help them. No, you were locking people up under the three strikes and out rule, and you know a lot of people were doing hard time for crack possession of crack, whatnot. When you had these high level businessmen coming down into the community, not only buying crack but they were abusing cocaine and getting you know slapped on the wrist for cocaine abuse. Right. Using cocaine. But yet the people in our communities, brown, black, poor people, were getting locked up left and right. And some of those folks are still in jail today over crack. But, you know, times have changed um, to an extent, but it, it affects a different segment of the society. And now we have to treat it different. You know, and, and to me, that's crap. It infuriates me to no end. And I tell my wife about it all the time. You know, where was the compassion in the 80s and 90s when our communities were being victimized by crack? I didn't see any compassion. I did not see any compassion whatsoever. All I saw was you saw it on the TV every night. People getting locked up, you know, for, you know, these sentences that were totally outrageous, which segues us into, you know, what you had mentioned, how the criminal justice system is tilted toward folks who have the means, um, they have opportunity to, you know, possibly get less than what they should have for the crime they have committed. And so uh, if you sat and you watched that Central Park Five documentary, uh, the first episode was tough for me to watch um, just to see how those young men were railroaded. Uh, into uh, making uh, a decision, making statements that um, has affected their lives to this day. So I'll, I'll throw that back to you and uh, let you open that up. Yeah, that's 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 a good good point because you know it's I think it has a lot to do with education. You know when when that event happened in 1989, and the New York City police said we have to find. We have to find out what happened to this this jogger that was jogging through Central Park. It's a top priority, you know. Well, if you look at the rest of New York City, they didn't have that 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 type of um, attitude towards the average murders that were taking place in the other communities, you know. So then. Uh, the thing that's surprising, you said it, it, it kind of bothered you, is that you get these uh, four young boys that were taken down to the police station and questioned without attorney, without an attorney uh, there. Uh, they read them the rights, but they didn't understand what their rights 
are. I mean, when you're 14 years old, you don't think about your rights. Right. You know, you think about playing t-ball and baseball and soccer and basketball and just running the streets, playing hide and go seat and so on. So they didn't really understand. And then they got the fifth guy who just hadn't didn't even happen to be in the park there. Yeah. And then they they bring him in and he's also caught up in the system. And it was a it's a huge failure on the police department and the legal system that they had to come up with a way of making the citizens of New York, making the police, the political officials of New York feel better about themselves. And they they railroaded those kids uh, into uh, confessing about crimes that they didn't do. You know, and, you know, when you take once again, you take 14 year old kids, 15, 16, I think was the oldest. And you put them under pressure when you haven't eaten or haven't slept. And suddenly you're they're telling you you have to do this and they're separating and making up stories and making it seem as if all the other kids were responsible. So when when you're under that type of pressure. And you're afraid, literally afraid, um, you'll say just about anything to get out of there. Right. You know, because because you are afraid. You are afraid. And, uh, you know, it's probably the first time you've ever been in a situation to where, you know, you aren't equipped to handle that situation. You know, your world, like you say, revolves around things that kids do. So you're, you're now thrown into an environment that like, you know, your senses are firing on all pistons, man. And you and you have no idea, like, what am I supposed to do? Because you took those kids and you questioned them without an adult being present. Uh, and you just you you railroaded them, you know, because, like you say, the hype. Uh, I At the time, 1989, I was stationed overseas. So. That story came out in the Stars and Stripes, which was the the military's newspaper, Department of Defense's newspaper uh, that was published, right? So that story came out in the Stars and Stripes. And, you know, we were in Japan at the time, and, you know, a lot of Japanese, their opinion of blacks— uh, was confined to the to the realm of, you know, we're entertainers and we're athletes, that type of thing. This story comes out and uh, it, it paints a different picture of black folks uh, who are in this foreign country. And there's a lot of us there. It paints a different picture because, you know, as with everything that goes on in our community, man, if 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 one black person is accused of doing something. And even though it's found out that, yeah, they did it, it cast a burden on all of us in the black community. We feel that because we know good and well that other people are going to say, well, you're just like the rest of those people. And, and I guarantee you that that was cast upon a huge portion of the black community that these young men they're out here assaulting people and they rape this white woman and beat her up, whatnot. You know, it, it, it casts shadows on all of us at the time. And um, it, it's unfair. That's that's how it is. But uh, that, that whole thing, man, it just irritated me to no end to watch what, like you say, the, the law enforcement system, the, the judicial system, how those kids were made to feel. I mean, after a while, they didn't know. 
you know, because they had they had twisted them and, and took them in so many diff- different directions. Hell, I probably would have confessed too, you yeah. know, because you, you're you're in an environment that you cannot deal with. You're a kid. But you know, one other thing, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, you, you said that they were kids, but uh, one of the uh, Central Park Five's uh, sister was was uh, signed a statement. Yes, yes, she signed a statement, and then and and that is because overall, the black community trusts trust the police. Okay, they assume that my son, my brother didn't do this or anything like this. So do what you have to do to get them out of there. And then the 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 one uh, Antron's father, you know, he was trusting in the police. His yeah. mom was trusting the police yeah. and said, man, just just go ahead and go along with what the police are saying right. and then we'll get you home. Right. And it, it just it this was a situation where a father and a son love one another. Yeah. He trusted his dad to have his back. He trusted his dad to do the right thing for him. But his dad believed in what the police wanted to do, so he thought he was doing what was best for his son. Right. And what what ended up happening is it destroyed that family. Yeah. And then, I you mean, know, yeah, and, and, and if you remember, not only, you know, did they did they want the dad to go in there and, you know, you know, tell your son to get on board, but they also threatened his job. Yes. You know, they threatened his job. And, um, you know, to me, that's like, you know, these guys are pathetic, man. You're, you're threatening this guy's job. This is what he this is all he has to take care of his family. He is trying to do the right thing to live down those stereotypes that black men don't take care of their families. They don't work all this stuff. And here this dude is. He's working hard trying to take care of his family. But now you're threatening his job because you won't go along with this flimsy ass story that you're making up to get these kids to sign this statement. And, and, and Lord knows that the, the unemployment rate in the black community is probably 25, 30%. Right, right, right. So that, so those jobs are like finding a million dollars every right, day. Right, right. So it, it was just appalling on so many levels. And then, and then the fact that you're going to take the one kid who came down to stand up, stand with his friend, he shows up, hang out, nothing to do with it. But he shows up to support his friend and you jam him up into this and you stick him in a prison with grown men. You know, that was I I was like, this is insane. You know, this kid, he did not get the benefit of any doubt. He was no, you're guilty. You know, and they, they just twisted this kid 50 million ways. And next thing you know, he's in Rikers Island with grown men. And, and moved around the, the prison system year after year after year in with grown men. Now, granted, he's getting older, but he spent the bulk, you know, the years he was incarcerated, he is a kid in prison with grown men. And, and that traumatized him tremendously. And I think you saw that. Right. Uh, and the documentary that Oprah did with Ava DuVernay that was on the other night, it's on Netflix. But you saw how this has traumatized this guy. He's a grown man now. Right. And you can tell that him being in prison with grown men, taking the abuse that he did, it has traumatized him to this day. Yeah. You know? And that's that's sad. It, that's that's sad about the whole 
situation. And there's there's one thing else that to remember in this is that after you know they were found you know innocent and everything like that, you know the media never pays attention. They never get the attention of someone's innocent than nope. it does their guilt. Yeah. You know, yeah. their their guilt plays is is much more significant than someone's innocent. Yeah. And that's yeah. what the prison industrial complex does. Yeah. We are going to stick it to you. We are going to keep you in chains, whether you're in prison or not. We don't care about your innocence. We yeah. only care about your guilt and what it makes us do in order to keep control of our local and state political apparatus. Yeah. And, and even though, you know, like, like they said, you know, the amount of money they were paid, people think like, wow, you guys got paid over this. No, you didn't, because you may have got $40 million to split amongst the five of you, but there were legal fees. There's all kind of other stuff, taxes, whatnot. You know, they did not get paid over this. And and I think they alluded to the fact that I don't care how much money you give us. It's not going to make up for how we have been treated by the criminal justice system. It's not going to make up for that. Right. And the fact that, yeah, the city, yeah, the city, you know, it, it did, you know, I guess what can can be considered an honorable thing and, and, and paid them that money. But you you have still to this day have not heard an apology from a lot of the people in those positions that railroaded these kids into that situation. The key right, right. person, the key person being the individual who sits in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, um, and, and, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but here is an individual, you know, you have <coughs> you you couldn't spell compassion if someone gave you all the letters. And you you put took an eighty five thousand dollar ad out to spew hate and get people riled up about these five young men. And now that the tables have turned and DNA evidence proves like it was not these guys, you don't have an ounce of compassion and empathy in your body to say, you know what, back in eight, 1989, 1990, whatever, I was wrong. I want to apologize to these young men, you know, for my part in it, whatever. But no, you are a person with no soul. Therefore, you have no compassion and you can't utter one kind word to these five young men about the part you played in this. Exactly. I agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. You know, I mean, this 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 person who sits at since at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has got little or no moral characters. Nope. He will never, he will never, and the city of New York will never admit that they nope. were wrong nope. because that's not in its DNA or in their DNA. Nope. They can't ever admit that they're wrong. That is a huge, huge fallacy to these this individual and the city of, of New York. Yeah. But again, you know, the, the, the bigger picture of this is you know you, this was made public this was made public in 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 a in a fashion that you know it's laid bare as to what happened to these five young men you know how their lives have been you know i won't say ruined because a lot of them have come back uh and they're doing some good things in their lives um but 
you know, you took their lives down a path. Their innocence was taken, you know, because of the manner in which you treated them once you got them into that system. And I think it's important, you know, if we if we take a, a side, you know, uh, road here a little bit, I think it's important that we need to educate our young black men, our young black women, that you do not want to be on the wrong side of the criminal justice system, not in this day and age. Yeah, exactly. You're not in this day and age. You do not want to be on the wrong side of the criminal justice system. I, I, you know, and I was always taught you respect the police. You know, they're people of authority. You respect them. But time and time again, we have got situation. We've got video. We've got we've got evidence to see that, you know what, there is a difference in how we as people of color are treated compared to the majority in society. There is a difference in how we are treated. And so I think we need to educate our young men and women that, one, you obey the law. You obey the law paramount. And if you are caught in a situation to where you're approached by law enforcement, whatever, you have to maintain a certain decorum, you know, so it does not uh, lead you to be in a position to where now it's blown into another situation. And that situation, I won't say the majority of the time, but a lot of times it does not turn out positive for people of color. Right, right. you know, uh, that, that that's my take on it. After, after watching this and all the crap that's going on now uh, around the country, uh, the, the officer down in Phoenix who pulled a gun on this family because the young lady took a doll out of a store. How many times do kids pick up things and walk out of stores with them and you as the parent don't realize what's going on? That's, yeah, exactly. That's what happened in this case. But you're going to pull a gun on this family. And, and literally say, tell to the to the to the mom, I will shoot you. I mean, I mean, that is what we have to deal with. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Right. Right. That, you know, most of the, most of our friends that will listen to this podcast. I mean, hopefully this will be passed on to some of the, the majority, some of our friends that would not listen to it. But that's something that we have to deal with every day. And, and if you remember, and we may have talked about this before is that there was this huge backlash to Black Lives Matter. Remember that? You yeah, know, yeah. Black Lives Matter. No, not Black Lives Matter. All Lives Matter. Right. And, and the reason that this All Lives Matter comes up is that people are afraid to admit that they are wrong. Right, right. That's what, it, that's, that's, what that's all about. It's not right. that, you know, we want special treatment. It's that we want equal treatment we want right. fair treatment right you right. know and right. we're not seeing i mean you'll see somebody that'll get 20 years in prison for taking a candy bar and then you'll see somebody that'll get no time for uh selling secrets to the russians right right yeah there's there, there disparities man and it, it's you people can't say that it's not true that we're making this stuff up it happens every day that there is something going on across this country in some city some little town that someone is caught in and in, in, is caught on the wrong side of the law and once this on surface you know this person may end up getting killed and we don't know the whole story. It's just like, hey, this person wasn't armed, whatever. And then the story, right, right away, the story is start to be, it start to be spun. 
And, and, and nine times out of 10, it's let's go back and look at all the dirt that this person who was victimized, let's dig up all the dirt on them to paint a picture of them. Well, they deserved what they got. Exactly. They deserved what they got. You know, that Mike Brown deserved to be gunned down in the street in Ferguson, that my man deserved to be shot running away from the cops. He deserved to be shot in the back. And then you're going to plant evidence on the guy. You know, that Eric Garner deserved to be choked when he's like, look, I'm not doing anything. I'm selling. I'm selling. I'm selling a single cigarette. I'm selling a cigarette. But you're going to choke this guy and kill him on video. And somehow you get exonerated when you've killed this guy on video. The young lady down in Texas who shot the black man in his apartment, she's thinking she's going in her apartment, which was the biggest lie ever told. But she's thinking, oh, I thought I was in the wrong apartment. There's nothing been done to her yet. Not a thing. So right. we, 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 we need to we, we need to educate we need to uh, prepare our young people, you know, and not just young people, you know, like you say, we're, we're, we're African-American men. And I think at some point we're viewed as we're a threat, um, even though we're not doing anything. We're minding our own business. But on the surface, we're viewed as a threat to society. I don't know why that is, but we're viewed as a threat. And so always on guard. You're always on guard. And I, I don't know about you, man, but I'm, I'm out driving at night and Cynthia tells me, wife tells us, she's like, look, you go somewhere, you go to point A, you go to point B and you come back because I'm a little leery now and I may be doing nothing wrong. But when I see a police car behind me, I tense up, man. Yeah. So yeah. because I'm not doing anything wrong. But it, it may take, you know, me just like I'm so tense. Maybe I do forget the signal. And now I get pulled over, you know. Yeah. And uh, and, and you end up like Sandra Bland or something, you know. So um, it, it, this whole system is it, it is it's, it's it's bad. It is bad. And so we, we like you say, you can go all the way back to the 1860s and come forward to see that sometimes the law has not treated people of a certain ethnicity. They have not gotten a fair shake from the criminal justice system. And that has not changed. It is still going on today, still going on today. And I'm not sure what we're going to do to change that, man. Well, you know, it's going to take a lot of more people getting in the streets, a lot of people bringing these things out and some lawmakers literally to get legislation to change it. And the, and one thing that is that's running or ruining the prison industrial complex is the fact that local and state laws, particularly, and I'm gonna I'm I'm be political about this, particularly in red states, because they have the power to gerrymander, because they have the power to rig elections, then there's absolutely no equality to get things done. None. Zero. And so what we end up getting is these young men and uh, women are incarcerated. They become institutionalized. Yep. You know, They don't get them in there and teach them new trades and so on. They get them in there and they become slave labor again. They make furniture. They make license plates. They make, they make uh, uh, different items that are sold to Americans. 
that are sold to people overseas. So this is free labor. When you go to prison, you get free labor. Yeah. And that's that's what that's what uh, the prison industrial complex does. How can we make rich people richer? Well, you lock up a whole bunch of brown and black people, you lock up a bunch of people and you get them to work for you for little or nothing. 4 yeah. cents a month. Yeah. You know, how much how much how much profit can you make when you're paying somebody 4 okay. cents a month? Yeah, you're right. You know, and, 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 and the other thing is that once they get institutionalized, everything that they do in that situation, from the time that they wake up to the time that they eat lunch or breakfast or whatever, they are not, to my knowledge, overall, taught how to become citizens again. Right, right. All they know is that I got to survive. You know, just imagine those 14, 15, 16 year old kids. I have to do what I have to do is survive this the system. I don't want to learn about too much of anything. They're not going to teach me too much of anything because they treat me as if I'm an animal. So therefore, when I do get out, what skills do I have? Right. Right. You know? and it, yeah. And it, even though a lot of guys, you know, they they people who come out of out of prison, they you know, they they get their education in there or whatnot. Yep. Once they come out, you got to have institutions in society willing to give those folks an opportunity to ply the skills that they have acquired in there. Yeah. And a lot of times and a lot of times they're dependent upon another entity that may be run by someone who's been in the criminal justice system, who's got on the outside, they've done well, and they're willing to take a chance on people to get them back acclimated into society. That's not, yes. that's not that doesn't happen all the time. And so now you have folks, yeah, they're out, but they're still imprisoned because they cannot move forward. The things that, that you said was available to them, you've taken it from them. You've still taken things from them. Uh, so they can't get a job. They can't do certain things because they have felon on their employment application. Or right. So you're right. still taking from them and not allowing them to merge back into society and be productive. Right. I mean, just just imagine you, you, you go to prison, you spend your time, you get out, you do everything that you possibly can. And then they say, OK. Mr. Mr. Johnson, you've done a great job. And Mr. Johnson, there's one thing that you can't do. You for no from this point on, in the state of Indiana, you've given up your right to vote. You are done. You can no longer vote because you did uh, you were involved in the criminal justice system and your rights were taken away from you. But after 20 years of being in prison and being a model citizen while I'm in prison and do everything that I can, let's get out and they still say, you know what, we still got you because now you can't vote. Yeah, yeah. You know, and some some law, I applaud the state of Florida that going through the process of saying that all these people that have been criminalized has been in the institution, we're going to give their vote back to them because they've done everything that they decided that was the right thing to do. Right, so why right. are we why are we still punishing them by not letting them vote? That makes no sense to me, right, none whatsoever. Right, right. and and it it plays into the larger picture that again, who are the majority of people incarcerated? It's people of color. So if those people get their voting rights back, guess what? A lot of these crooked ass people who have been in Congress and Senate for you know what? You're not getting in anymore because now there is a block of people 
who are going to be able to vote. They're going to be educated because I guarantee you there's folks out there beating the streets, making the issues aware to folks. So look, you need to vote. And here's why. Here's why this is important to you. And a lot of the crap that's going on now, which is why our government isn't functioning, is because you've, like you say, people have gerrymandered uh, these districts or whatnot. So everything's in their favor. I guarantee you, if they give the right to vote back to a lot of people that have been incarcerated, things will change here. Things will change because guess what? You're not in power anymore. You're not calling the shots. And so but that's designed to keep it that way. We're going to make sure. No, you ain't voting. We're taking that right away. You can do everything else, but you ain't going to go into a ballot box and cast a vote for nobody. And, and that is fundamentally wrong. If, if you've done your time, you've paid your debt to society, that wipes away everything. And so you should be able to be restored to full citizenship just like everybody else out here. That's right. That's right. You know, and if you do something wrong, they put you back in the system. Right, right, right. You know, then you lose your vote, you know, but, and so uh, on. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, and I, I mentioned it earlier, and I'm, I'm going to bring up one of Kentucky's owns. Uh, the other thing they were talking about um, recently, we're talking about reparations, huh? you know, for um, for for black folks because of slavery and so on. You know, my thoughts on reparations is is pretty simple. I don't want money, but I don't see why there can't be money given to colleges that would allow uh black, brown, white folks to go to, like the HBCUs, Mm -hmm. you know, keep those universities afloat, you know, help them out and and so on. Um, Our, our, I'm not going to say our, their, for the people in Kentucky who are supporters of Mitch McConnell, this dumbass, excuse my French, (laughs) <laughs> you know, his idea is that, well, you got Barack Obama and that should be reparations enough. This is an ignorant fool. Yeah. yeah. I don't, Kentucky, listen to me. <laughs> you need to get rid of Mitch McConnell. I don't care what you do. I love my home state, but that guy is a blight on the state of Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. I, I I heard that comment. I saw it the other day, and I said, um, okay, let me analyze this. First, you're saying that we don't need reparations because most of the people who were, you know, were involved in slavery or whatever, they aren't even alive now, which is true, okay? Correct. But the institutions that to this day keep people, in in a sense— in slavery are still in existence. Those institutions still exist in are in existence, and they're slanted toward the favor of one group. That's the reality of it. We know that. Okay. Then he said, "We elected a black president, so why do we need reparations?" But I'm thinking, like, this is the same black president that you stonewalled at every opportunity you got. Absolutely. You you were this guy's. You were the guy who said, my goal is to make this guy a first term president. They came out of your mouth. 
So it shows what an ignorant ass you really are. And I agree with you. The state of Kentucky needs to get together and say, look, this guy's an embarrassment to this state. And I think folks maybe be realizing that because a lot of the crap that's coming out about what his wife has been doing, funneling money to his little projects in Kentucky and this and that. Um, he's an embarrassment and it's time for him to go because he's one of these people who realizes that, you know what? The bell is tolling and the bell is tolling for you, my friend. And the day is coming to where you ain't going to be in power anymore. And, And that day is coming rather quickly. And a lot of these folks, they don't like that. They see that the country is getting browner. It's getting blacker and they don't like that. So you got these barriers to prevent people from being involved in the American experience. You want to make it as difficult as possible for folks who don't look like you to participate. And so um, personally, do we need reparations? I, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I do agree with you that like, okay, maybe you take that money that you would allocate and utilize it in some other entity that's going to help the progression of the black community. Maybe you do that. But the fact for people to say that we don't need reparations, I think is false because you gave money to the Japanese who were interned in World War II. Okay. You gave them money. You gave money to Holocaust survivors. No questions asked. But when it comes to. Hell, they rebuilt Europe. Yeah, we rebuilt Europe. The Marshall Plan rebuilt Europe. We rebuilt a country and we rebuild countless countries every day. We've rebuilt Afghanistan. I don't know how many times we've rebuilt Iraq. I don't know how many times, you know, but when it comes to black people and the issues that concern black people, we got to question that and we got to scratch our heads and say, well, why should we do this? But you have a track record of doing it for so many other people. And so. I, you know, I, we're getting close to the top of the hour, but I, I want to throw this out. I was watching a documentary the other night, um, and it's also, I forgot what year it is, but this year is the anniversary of the Transcontinental Railroad. Yes. And so I was watching this documentary, and it was talking about the Chinese laborers. The police. That, yeah. The Chinese laborers that built the Transcontinental Railroad. Those guys labored under some severe conditions. And I don't think America has truly acknowledged what those people did. And, And that is the fundamental problem I have with this country. You and I both, we've worn the uniform and served um, as members of the, of the U S armed forces in this, for this country, we've served, we salute the flag. We do all that stuff that we're supposed to do. But the fundamental problem I have with this country is we don't want people to know the real deal about this country. And until that happens, until our history is truly told, the fact that certain people have been victimized because of the color of their skin and we use them to build this country into what it is until we tell that true story, until we tell the true story about how five young men can be victimized by a system that's supposed to protect them, then we're never going to be great. And until we acknowledge that every person, black, red, brown, green, whatever, that everybody has contributed 
to the success of this nation. Until we do that, we are going to be right where we find ourselves now. And that is going nowhere because right, there's right. division, there's strife, there's all kind of other foolishness going on in this country that certain people who are supposed to be leading, they're turning a deaf ear to and a right. deaf eye to. They're turning a blind eye to it. And they don't want to do anything. Why? Because it's lining their pockets and it's lining their friends' pockets. Well, so, you know, you know, Wayne, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, talk about the Chinese that built the Transcontinental Railroad and coolies and so on. Yeah. But the other thing is that people that were in the same situation, you know, when the Irish came to America back in the late 1800s or the 1800s because of potato famine and so on. Yeah. Amer- Americans hated the Irish. Yeah. They hated the Irish, yeah. you know, because, number one, they, they brought Catholicism to America, yeah. you know, and Catholicism was not trusted to be part of the American society, especially in politics. Now, once the Irish acclimated to American society and so on, then they turned their back on as they became part of the majority, they turned their back on all those people that were like them who was just trying to come here and get started with a new life. Right. So right. they have some some concern. They have some something to do with also eliminating some of these problems. Now, granted, some do. Some will. There's always someone that, that will. But we still have to, as you mentioned, talk about the truth. America is afraid to talk truth. And the best way of dealing with truth is to talk about it. Black folks are never really upset about talking about issues that deals with the black community because we've always let take that back. We've always had to deal with those situations. We've always had to deal with social economic situations. We've always had to deal with racial issues and political issues and so on. So it's nothing to us to talk about it, but it's other people, other groups that feel that they are not going to admit that they did something wrong or their ancestors did something wrong, that they're afraid of dealing with that. Man, right. I tell you, I, 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 I tell you yesterday, I kid you not, Wayne, yesterday Lynn and I drove up to Fort Wayne, Indiana to go to a car show. And on the way back, we decided, myself and three other uh, Corvettes, basically, we rode up to Fort Wayne, you know, to go to their car show. And on the way back, we stopped in Anderson, Indiana. And I, and I kid you not, we pulled up and we stopped. We got out. Lynn says, I got to go to the bathroom real fast. So she, she takes off. And so is myself and four other guys. We're walking towards B-dubs. There's a guy standing by a Jeep. We walk up, and I swear to you, this happened. He goes, boys? Hmm. Wow. And in my younger self, (laughs) if if this was 45, 50 years ago, I would have confronted him. And probably would have beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Seriously. Wow. But you know, I'm I'm older, I'm more mature, and and the the four of us kind of looked at one another and just kind of shook our heads like, does he not know that he is a damn ignorant fool? Yeah. 
This was I, yesterday. This yeah. was yesterday. This was June twenty second, two thousand nineteen. Wow, wow. And again, it, it it all comes back to the fact that America needs to tell the truth about what is going on or what has gone on in this country. Be be upfront about it. What do you have to hide? We all know that this country was made up of a lot of different groups, you know, and um, a lot of different groups have contributed to the success of this country. Say that. Tell that story. But no, we want to sweep it under the rug. We want to hide it. We want to perpetrate the myth that this group of people is better than this group of people because, you know, your skin color is this and that. And so we're going to we're going to hold that over this group of people and, and we're going to do everything we can to make them feel as though you are less than me. I, you know, I, I earn this spot. And it's, until we until we do that, stuff like that, you know, calling calling grown men boys in 2019, that is the only way we're going to eradicate that. It's, it's amazing. And, and one of the guys, he just celebrated his 80th birthday. Wow. Wow. 80 years old. Wow. And I'm, I'm telling you, if there'd been a different situation, he would have gotten probably a pretty damn good beat down. Mm. I'm, I'm just saying. Now, America, all our podcast listeners across the tracks, you can only take so much before you, you've had enough. Okay, it, yep. it goes back. It goes back to a poem by Langston Hughes. You know, you, you can only take so much, you know, mm-hmm. a, a dream deferred. Right. Well, you know what? Sometimes <clears throat> that dream deferred has become a dream across your face. Right. Right. OK. And that's how some people react to that. Now, yep. you know, once again, you know, we weren't in that situation, you know, that we were going to do that. But, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it had been different. Right. You know, right. Right. I mean, you, we can't let ignorance affect us because you know we would be right back in that 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 complex you know right who knows who right. knows right and and had you guys you know confronted this guy words were said things escalate and guess who ends up on the wrong side of the criminal justice system absolutely you guys. <laughs> absolutely you guys. And, and and that's part that's part of what we we're, we're saying, you know, everything that we do, we have to we have to think about it. We have to think what's going to be the process, what's going to be the results of this action, as simple as it may be. It is a, it is an barren. It is overwhelming that you have to live your life, that you walk down the street and you think, well, if I'm walking, if I decide to. Uh, my car runs out of gas and I decide that I live a half a mile away and I walk to my house. Well, some cop come by and say, well, what are you doing out right. here in the middle of the night? Right. You know, I'm, I'm walking to my house, you know, right. you know, I, I, I think about those things when I go running, I run nearly every morning. Right. You know, sometimes I run before, before dawn. And, you know, and I think, you know, some cop pulls up and goes, well, what are you out doing running? Well, I'm running because I want to exercise. You know, you shouldn't have to deal with that burden. Nope. Nope. You know, that's something that's that we always have to 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 deal with is the back of our mind is that 
anything, any slight move that we make, anything that we say, any judgments that we do and so on is always going to be yeah. uh, double uh, uh, double checked or guessed or we're going to possibly have some legal situation that we're in. Yeah. That's every day. And, and, and I don't think I don't think the majority of white folks ever think in those terms. You know, they walk out of their house, they walk out of their door. They probably don't think that any point in time I could be arrested and or killed. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a brother here and, um, you know, he was uh, working in his yard. He was in Boulder, which you're familiar with Boulder. You've yeah. been out here and uh, not a lot of black folks in Boulder, but he lived there and he was working in his yard. He was, you know, picking up stuff in his yard, whatnot. Police car rolls up. And uh, he's like, they got the video and everything. And he's like, yeah, officer, can I help you? And they're like, well, we got some reports. It's always we got a report. (laughs) Yeah, we got a report. And he's like, I'm here picking up trash in my yard. I live here. So they they walk into his yard and he said, I'm going to ask you kindly to get out of my yard. You know, I've done nothing wrong. I'm here picking up trash out of my yard. This is my home. I'm asking you to get out of my yard. Well, words were said by the cop and my man wasn't backing down. He, he was he was he wasn't backing down either because he's like, I ain't done nothing wrong. Well, more cops show up and they draw their guns on this guy. Now all hell breaks loose. Had not it been for one of his white neighbors who came out and said, what is going on out here? She's like, this man lives here. He said, she said, y'all should be ashamed of yourselves for what you're doing. This guy lives here. This is his home. She said, y'all should be ashamed of yourselves for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then they got a conscience and said, well, you know, we, we, we're we sorry. We apologize. But yet you were ready. You put guns on this guy. Put guns on this guy. You know, he's in his yard, cleaning his yard. But somehow he's a threat to you. He's a yeah. threat to somebody because you got a report. So the guy, yeah, he was pissed. He handled it well. And he's fortunate that this lady saw what was going on and came out. Otherwise, the situation could have turned a whole different direction. Right, we right. We about another black man gunned down for no reason, you know. Well, you know, the, the, the <clears throat> typical excuse today is that I feared for my life. Feared for my life. I feared for my life, you know, because I don't know what this guy had. I mean, he was picking up trash. He could have right. reached in a bucket or something <laughs> and had a gun in there. So I feared for my life. For my you know, life. That's, the, that's the excuse. And until, until the legal system starts persecuting, persecuting, prosecuting these cops and these cops, these police officers, when they are found guilty, then some of this stuff will, will stop, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and the legal system yeah. says, well, we can't have police officers out there, you know, being afraid to uh, do their job. Well, if they are not doing their job and they use doing their job as an excuse to to injure someone, then there's an issue. There's a problem. Right. 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 And I, and I think we can bring it down to its to its common, you know, smallest denominator and we can take it back to E-Town. And I think we talked about this in one of the early episodes. Granted, E-Town is not a big bustling metropolis. Uh, it's not Louisville. It's not Lexington. It's not Oldsboro. It's not a lot of the other, you know, you know, I say bigger cities in Kentucky. <clears throat> but what was going on in E-Town was what I remember as a kid. The police drove through the bottom all the time. 
the people in the police car knew everybody in the bottom. They knew who all the bootleggers were. They knew who everybody (laughs) was. And so when the police rolled through the neighborhood, it wasn't like, oh, Lord, here they come. No, people knew everybody. And I think to change that in this country, there needs to be more of that neighborhood policing to where you actually, you know the people in that neighborhood. And you know them because they see you all the time. They see you all the time. And until we get back to that, uh, what the situations about people, you know, reporting on folks and calling the police on people for for stuff that, you know, like I'm in the park barbecuing. What are you calling the police on me for? Or my daughter selling lemonade on the sidewalk. What are you calling the police on her for? I mean, stupid stuff like that. Until we get back to that, to where the police are known in the community. And at some point, there's a level of respect there because the police respect the people that live there and the and the people live in the neighborhood. They respect the fact that you took the time out to come to be in that neighborhood. So it's a street. And so to bring it back to where we started, our criminal justice system needs serious reform. It needs serious reform. And I don't know if you or I are going to see that in our lifetime. I hope we do to where the sentences for a lot of minor crimes, people aren't being locked up for 30, 40 years for stuff that, you know what, um, we give you a fine and let you go. And then that we're capable of bringing people back into society once we do incarcerate them. We are capable of bringing them back into society and giving them full rights of citizenship that they have paid for. They have paid for right. Yeah. I mean, just think of all the all the states that have legalized marijuana right. and think of all the hundreds of thousands of people that's been in jail for selling marijuana, right. Right. you know, 20, 25 years ago. Right. Right. And so we're in dire need of reform. I know a lot of these candidates that are running in 2020, they're talking about criminal justice reform, whatever. But until you actually do something that changes the narrative the way the criminal justice system, again, you and I are black, we, we see it from a different aspect. <clears throat> Until you change the way in which the criminal justice system and a lot of times victimizes black and brown people, then this country is, is, is it's going to be a mess. And it's a mess now. So we need serious reform. And so situations, what happened, like what happened with the Central Park Five, we don't have that again. We don't right. have it again. I, I would like to say one one other thing. I didn't mean to cut you off. No. But, you know, in order to get this reform completed, or at least started with, I'm going to go back to my home state. I'm going to go back to the red states. I'm going to go back to all those states that allow these things to happen. Kentucky, until Mitch McConnell is out of office until someone defeats him. None of this is going to happen because he's the Senate majority leader who has too much power, too much power. He has the power to bring bills onto the floor of the Senate. If they say that we're going to create a criminal justice system that's going to allow ex-felons to vote and so on, he's just going to say no. Yeah. To all these candidates that are running, if you have no chance, get out and run for Senate. Right. Absolutely. Get out and run for Senate. Turn those seats over so that yep. our friend, our buddy, 
Mitch McConnell at Google-eyed fool from Kentucky <laughs> is not is not the Senate Majority Leader. I That's agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. He, he is an embarrassment for the state of Kentucky, man. And 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 we. I don't think we're in the minority in feeling that way because. He, as a Senate Majority Leader, one of the most powerful positions in Congress, um, he is enabling a lot of this crap that's going on because he wants to look the other way. He wants to protect the president. He wants to endorse all this foolishness that you and I both know if Barack Obama had did a fraction of the stuff that's going on now. Uh, with within his administration, folks lying to the FBI, the president getting getting people to lie for him and all this other crap that has come before the Congress and you won't do anything about it. I guarantee you they would have impeached Obama a long time ago, which McConnell lead, leading the flag. Let's impeach this guy. He'd be the first one waving the flag like we're going to impeach this guy, you know, but now he has no conscience. He turns a, a deaf ear and a blind eye to everything that's going on. But you have the power to change a lot of the the ills that are plaguing this country. And for whatever reason, you don't want to stand up and do it. <clears throat> yeah. To 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 all of our friends, you know, vote, vote. However, don't vote because you're just voting for your party. Vote for the people that are doing the right thing. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrats, independent. Okay? I have never been that that person that says I'm only going to vote for a Democratic candidate. That is not me. And it's never have been me. However, I will vote for the person that will do something to help my community, whether it's in Kentucky or in Indiana. Right. Okay, regardless. And so, you know, we've got this country that's divided up. I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, and I'll never vote for the other. That's asinine, stupid thinking. You can't yeah. do that, you know? Yeah. Well, again, you, you have to hearken back to um, to uh, former President Obama's speech and um, what he gave at the Democratic National Convention. There are no red states. There are no blue states. There is just the United States of America, which we are all citizens of. But we have allowed a cancer to permeate uh, this country. It wants to divide. It wants to conquer. And it wants to paint a picture of certain people in this country that they are not worthy to be included in this experiment that is America. Bring me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. What happened to that? Why have we turned a deaf ear to that? You know, we always want to point to that we are this great institution. But I guarantee you the rest of the world is looking at us right now and like, what the hell are these people doing? Yeah. Who, who are you to tell me to police myself when you can't govern yourself? Look at all the ills you got going on in your country. And so I, I, I say, yes, it is more than ever. It is important to vote. And vote for the individual that you feel is going to do the best for our country because we are in dire straits and we need to go in another direction. We need to go in another direction. And so All right. I, I think the discussion tonight was great. We, we did hit on a few areas that probably we didn't intend to. 
But hey, some, that's all part of it, brother. That's all part of it. The discussion takes you certain places. And so uh, I thought this discussion was great. I think the dialogue was was awesome. Uh, it was meaningful. And so I'm I have hope. Uh, I have hope that uh, this country is going to change itself, turn itself around and, and get back to what we know we should be. So, you know, I think one thing we, we need to mention about the criminal justice system and, and that is sometimes you have to think before you do certain things. If, if something is inherently wrong, don't do it, which puts you in a position to be in in the criminal justice system. Don't do those things that you know are inherently wrong. I think that's part of the education. We talked about educating our young men and women. We also need to include in that education. You know what is right and what is wrong. Don't do anything that's going to put you in the criminal justice system to begin with. So think before you act. Right. And, and it's a long, it's a long process of getting out of there. You know, your life is affected forever. Yeah. So if you know it's wrong, don't do it. Right. You know, even if, you, if there's an inkling that you could uh, possibly be incarcerated for something, then don't do it. Learn patience. You know, right. things aren't going to come to you overnight all the time. Sometimes right. you have to work hard to get, certain situation. It may take you filling out 12 or 13 job applications, but keep moving forward and right. don't do things that will, as, as you mentioned, that will get you in, involved in, in the uh, criminal justice system Correct. because there's, there's no turning back. Once, once they put your, put you in there, it's just like your social security number. You yep. know, you're always going to have a number and it's always going to follow you around for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Well, Wayne, it's, like you said, it's a good discussion. Uh, I'm sure that we'll probably touch on some of these topics again. So uh, if you're out there listening, once again, if there's any topics that you want to discuss, anything that you want to um, uh, bring to our attention, please do so. And we'll move forward with uh, another episode of Across the Tracks uh, some other day. All right, we're out. We're out of here. And you guys have a good one.